0: families that actively cultivate two things, um, cohesion and effective communication. And really, sharing family stories is an incredibly effective tool to foster those qualities.
1: Welcome to the Wealth Experience
0: Podcast. From big picture planning strategies to developing market trends,
1: we bring light to a range of important matters so you can build your wealth with confidence. Brought to you by BMO Wealth Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. No one likes to be lectured to, least of all by a member of their own family. But everyone loves a good story. Stories are a tremendously powerful tool for illustrating deeply held values and passing those values along to the next generation for continued success. In this episode, Ruth Steverlink and Samantha Reynolds discuss how family storytelling can ease the stress of wealth transition. Ruth Steverlink is a founder and principal of Your Family Enterprise Advisors. Samantha Reynolds is a founder and president of Echo Storytelling Agency, both based in Vancouver.
2: Sam, it's so lovely um, to be speaking with you today. What many of our listeners will not know is that you and I first met a couple of years ago. That's right. And I'm really excited to be sitting down talking to you about this concept of family storytelling and the important role that can play for families of wealth. So perhaps we can start with your story. First and foremost, you're a mother, a wife, a daughter, a granddaughter. And I believe it's that latter role that you play that informed your work today. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. So that's right. About 20
0: years ago, um, my grandmother, who was my only living grandparent at the time, uh, went in for a hip operation. And prior to this, as a journalism student and running my own writing and editing company, I had always been the designated family scribe uh, and had planned to get my grandmother's story on record, but procrastinated and she seemed healthy enough And then she went in for this hip operation and she came out the other end with a new hip, but no memory. The anesthetic just, she didn't bounce back from it. And it literally was like a delete button was pressed on her memory. And it was really devastating to me to just suddenly have this absence of family roots in my life. And it it got me thinking what does it mean to have access to those family stories and what does it mean to lose access to those stories? So as a hobby really I just started picking up a tape recorder and with my journalism training just started interviewing the family members I had left and fell in love with that process
2: and it wasn't long before I started doing it uh, professionally. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think losing a parent, a grandparent is so hard, but losing those stories is, is extremely hard. Mm-hmm. So I can see why that would inform your work. So this this podcast, Sam, is about the experience of wealth. And if we're to believe all the studies that we read, um, we're in the largest wealth transfer in history. The latest figures I read are that Canada's looking at transitioning about $1 trillion worth of wealth over the next 15 years. And I think in the US, it's up to about $41 trillion. And my experience with wealth creators is that they're worried. They're worried about this transition of wealth. They're worried about the impact the wealth that they've spent their life creating may have on the next generation. So I'm just curious what role you think the family storytelling can play in helping ease the stress of wealth transition. hmm So certainly that's um, what
0: I hear as well in all the work we do with high net worth clients. Um, I think the greatest concern I hear over and over again is that those values that seeded the um the 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 origins of the family and and their success is that those values will be lost over time. So the anxiety that those families have that they'll raise the next generation that don't share those values is of great concern. Um, what we share with clients is that in their history, you know, we often say it it. it It's not. It was good. It got better at the end. You know that's not. That's not the story of success. Inevitably, there's stories of setbacks and there's triumphs. There's hardship. um, There's overcoming difficulties, and those are all really um, opportunities to embed those values in stories. exponentially more powerful than lecturing our children is sharing those values through
2: story. So the, the storytelling brings the values of the family to life and, and makes it relatable for family members. I think that's what I'm hearing you say. That's right. So when, when I think back, you know, over, over
0: the 20 years that that I've been doing this work, um, the the families that fare the best are families that actively cultivate two things, um, cohesion and effective communication. And really sharing family stories is an incredibly effective tool to foster those qualities in a family. And it's interesting because there's so much literature out there about organizational culture and company culture and how to foster a cohesive organization. And in many ways, families mimic those organizations. You know, we talk about the family as a tribe and those, those that, that quality of cohesion is really um, a bond that um, is achieved through those shared values. Um, we talk a lot with clients about their core stories um, and their founding story um, and when it comes to communication, you know, there's so many aspects of, um, of families needing to feel safe, um, needing to uh, be able to share vulnerability, having a clear purpose, but it's really from, from the perspective of families looking for a tool to achieve that cohesion and to achieve that effective communication, sharing stories is so powerful and it's easier than people think. Um, We talk a lot about not just sharing past stories, but also how to coach um, the current generation to spot stories. So where do they see their families living their values? And how can they keep those stories alive by by saying, you know, in family gatherings, um, there's all sorts of opportunities to say, We just lived our values or here's a big decision that we have to make and how are we going to make that decision um you know well let's take a look at the filter of our values uh you know i think we all know that the success of the next generation really hinges on the good decisions they make as stewards of that wealth for themselves and the generations to follow and we make those decisions based on our values um and values They're just words unless we illustrate them with stories. Um, So the opportunity to use stories, you know, in those decision-making moments for someone to say, I'm faced with this fork in the road and my grandfather or my grandmother had a a similar challenge. And, you know, I remember knowing what they did. I can draw inspiration from that and make a decision, um,
2: ideally based on those same core family values so sam i think you're really highlighting something of great importance for our listeners Um, you know i think everybody knows that effective communication is really important in families that are looking at transitioning wealth and the cohesion is really important but i think at its core the families that really are doing well at this are owning their own decisions and making good decisions so what I'm hearing you say is that family storytelling can be a very important tool in helping families own their own decisions. Um, I recently read that estate litigation is the fastest growing form of litigation in north america which is the antidote to that it's mm-hmm. that that's where families are saying somebody else an external third party is going to make our decisions so mm-hmm. what a what an interesting idea that family storytelling can actually be a, the ingredient to helping families do what's most important to them in wealth transition which is own their own decisions mm-hmm. what else do you think um, is important so we, we've covered values we've covered um communication the important role that storytelling can play in good decision-making. Are there, is, is there anything else that we're missing?
0: Yeah. You know, there's been some interesting research come out recently about um, children whose families regularly share their stories and the history of family in particular. And there are three positive outcomes, um, higher self-esteem, a stronger sense of personal identity, and better coping skills. And all of that leads to children that ultimately have lowered levels of depression and anxiety. And really that's a whole other um, objective that as parents, whether they're high net worth or not, is we want to raise children that are happy, you know, that, that have, you know, are able to cope and navigate the world, um, you know, and find joy and meaning. Um, so the fact that sharing family stories can
2: be a pathway To that as well i think it's really powerful that's very interesting research so in my work i work a lot in the arena of inherited wealth you know where children next generation receive wealth that they haven't earned and that can come with some complexity And, and interestingly that you should be touching on this i think um the inheritors that do the best are those that have a very strong sense of self and so what that research is highlighting is that family storytelling actually can help enhance that, that sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt from all that you're saying that family storytelling has a really important role in this experience of wealth. Um, I'm just curious, though, because the reality is, if I look at my own family, for example, my husband uh, is from South Africa, his family live in South Africa and Australia, I my, I come from Scotland, my family are all in Scotland. I mean, that's kind of normal these days that there would be this geographic diversity. And when I think of family storytelling, I think of everyone being together, everyone in the same room, sharing these wonderful stories. Um, how do families navigate the reality that we're very geographically dispersed today?
0: Mm-hmm. So it's both, you're so right, because it's both the reality. Um, so it's a challenge, but it's also... Um, a tool to connect these families that are disparate geographically. What we um, often will advise um, families to do as a really simple way of getting started, um, and this can be done by phone, it can be done by Skype, is to engage that younger generation and invite them to interview an elder member of the generation. So again, that can be done by phone, it can be done by Skype. Um, There are loads of resources and books and, you know, on the internet in terms of um, prepping that younger member of the family with questions. But I also say, just go with your curiosity. You know, what are you interested in about that grandparent or maybe parent figure about, you know, their background? Um, and just collecting and recording those stories, whether it's just a, you know, recorder that you can buy at any drugstore or you can record now on Skype. There's so many um, easy ways to um, to capture those stories. So that's... Um, I think, a really good place to start. Um, And then, of course, there's um, the question of where to, the repository for all of those stories. But as one sort of catalyst, as a way to ignite that uh, storytelling culture within a family, we've seen great success by just empowering younger generation to to collect the stories from the elders. And it's really, um, uh, it's rewarding for both sets, for both generations. Um, to see where they have common ground and to learn
2: about each other. I like that. I think it's one thing to know that family storytelling is important. It's another to be really intentional about capturing the stories. And, you know, your own story of your grandmother going in for surgery and losing her memory was, you know, highlights that if we don't take the seize the day mm-hmm. take, and be intentional, mm-hmm. then we might lose those stories. So any other sort of methodologies or tools that we can give our listeners around capturing family stories. I love the idea of the younger generation taking the lead and carving out the questions and using technology to record those uh, interviews with the elder members of the family but any other tools for our listeners? Sure, so um we, um, when
0: family members do come together, whether it's um, an annual uh, summit retreat or an informal family gathering, that can be a really nice opportunity to engage in some um, more organized oral storytelling. So uh, that can be done through a facilitator or again, it can be one generation interviewing the next. Um, when family members are Together, you know, regularly in the same location, in the same city, um, in the same family, <clears throat> just uh, dinner table conversation is a really ripe opportunity for regular storytelling. Um, likewise, you know, driving children back and forth, you know, to whether it's a sports games or school, um, there's something wonderfully unintimidating about sitting side by side instead of across from one another that can actually be uh, grist for the mill and really um, uh, lubricate that some of those stories and loosen some of those stories. Um, and then uh, there are other families, um, clients of ours that have a blog. So they keep a family blog. They may designate. Um, a family historian, somebody who owns that project, uh, and collects those stories and posts them on a private family blog. And then other families, of course, work with firms like ours to um, produce professional family legacy videos uh, or family history books as well, which um, tend to be more uh, engaged uh, Longer term projects where they can benefit from from a professional, but there are lots of ways that families can do this
2: on their own as well. So it's sort of moving from awareness of the value of storytelling to being intentional, whether it be with your children in the car, whether you have a captive audience, right. sometimes that's the only time I get to speak yeah. to my children is when they're seat belted into a car, to, to more organized uh events where you bring all the family together and it's very intentional around the storytelling with questions all the way to books that capture. So lots of tools for families. Mm -hmm. Now, I am the mother of two teenagers and here's my reality. They, they talk via Snapchat. (laughs) I think I'm getting this right. I, I was, They recently told me that Facebook is so out. Right. That's for old people. And so I, I thought I was so trendy because I was on Facebook. But, you know, they, they communicate shockingly to me um, with technology. They Snapchat, mm. they Instagram, they do whatever else it is that's out there that I don't know about. But I don't see them sitting on the phone talking to their friends. I don't see them engaging in the dialogue that certainly my generation grew up with so how do we um how are we intentional about storytelling in a digital age mm-hmm. where the younger generation communicates quite differently from the way that we communicated
0: mm-hmm.
2: i just so, wondered if any thoughts
0: on yeah that? it's a great question so we're working with a family right now who are um Taking a story that um, exists in a longer form, Uh, so it's a story that we helped produce for them in a book, and we're helping them um, repurpose that into bite sized pieces and it's being shared digitally with the younger generation on their mobile devices. It's a great question. We have um, a family that we're working with right now who are taking a longer form story that we produced for them. So a longer form family history narrative. And we've helped them uh, repurpose that longer narrative into bite-sized pieces that they're sharing with that younger generation on their mobile devices. So it's a story that, um, that those teenagers are getting in digestible um, size pieces. The other thing that I'm that I think would surprise listeners is that books aren't on the decline. Um, we hear back from we've been hundreds of um, of family legacy books and history books for clients. And when we produce them really rich with photographs and they reside on the coffee tables of these families, what we hear back from families is that it's exactly that teenage and sort of younger generation that engages with that kind of sort of coffee table style book where there's, um, it's a really layered you know there's uh, sort of fun facts about their family there's photographs there's sidebars uh, so they don't have to sit and read the book cover to cover but they can engage with it over and over again you know when it's just sitting on the family coffee table and they do and I think that's really interesting and it's to, what we've learned is that it hinges so much on the photographs so the photographs are the hook and that's really you know it's an Instagram generation so um, and it's It's fascinating that history, that those stories and when they're when they're authentic, meaningful, real stories, um, especially if there's we talked about that vulnerability earlier as one of those ways of um, building cohesion and effective communication in a family where there's some of that vulnerability woven into those stories when we're not painting the picture of. The, you know their grandparents or their parents as saints who've never stumbled um, that's incredibly um, compelling for the younger generation that teenagers are stumbling all the time and have you know are, you know full of anxiety about um, you know are they going to fail are they going to succeed and and reading about their again their parents and grandparents who, um, can be honest about having some of those same emotions is incredibly compelling. But it is important to present that story in a way that's digestible. So, dense text cover to cover in a book is not the right way to approach the book. And, you know, expecting um, that children are going to sit through long, uh, you know, t- stories every night at the dinner table, you know, I, I don't think we're expecting that of them either. Um, but meeting them where they're at with story
2: can be done really effectively. Beautiful. So I want to pick up on something that you said, Sam, which I think is really interesting. You identified a core attribute of family storytelling as being vulnerability. So not just sharing the good times, but also sharing some of the lessons learned and challenges overcome. That's an attribute of good family storytelling. Are there any other attributes of good family storytelling that our listeners can learn from you as an expert on?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Two for sure. One is emotion. So if we can get away from thinking of our stories as CVs, as the plot points of we did this and then we did this and we went here and we built this and we sold this and go a little deeper into the emotion, that's what's going to engage the next generation in um uh, this was going to inspire them, and that's what they're going to relate to. So not just what you did, but how you felt. And it can be a triumphant feeling and it can be a feeling of, you know, a time when um, you were unsure about what to do next, uh, but weaving that emotion into the story. And the second is is detail. So we know our own stories and we can tend to have an instinct to skirt, um, you know, to the next plot point. When really, what makes stories memorable? And really, if we think about it, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to use story um, to embed these values in the next generations, so that they don't have to remember, uh, you know, what the family stands for. If 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 framed in story, they just nest. Within us, that's what we know neurologically about story. From such a young age, we just we remember stories, um, and and detail is really critical to painting that picture in in the the listener's mind um, that can be um, you know easily retrieved when again faced with, with one of those decision points. Um, that story crops up if we lend a little bit more detail. So. You know, in reflecting back on our childhood, um, what did the family home look like? What did what did mornings smell like? Um, you know, integrating those details can do um, so much to to make the stories memorable, um, and without adding too many balls for people to juggle, um, a, a potentially a third uh, would be an element of surprise. So um, we are hardwired as humans to also remember stories that surprise us in some way um, so if there's, uh, if there's a story that positions a family member um, in a way that maybe other family members wouldn't have expected um, and, it's a, and it's it also serves as a way to share a family value, those are some of those family legends core stories that we
2: encourage families to tell over and over again Beautiful. Uh, what about, you know, just building on what you just said, what about a family member that doesn't want to be involved, that doesn't want their story shared, that doesn't want to be the surprise story to the family? Um, how do you um, guide families to help them continue with their journey of family storytelling, where there might be a family member that's saying, I don't want my story shared what would your advice be?
0: Mm-hmm. So I would say um, to begin that that's really common. So not to be um, discouraged if if the first response is either oh no I don't have a story to share it's not either not worth sharing or no I feel uncomfortable about my story on record. So that's not an uncommon first response. Um, what I encourage the keen family member to ask. Uh, of their parent or their grandparent uh, or aunt or uncle or you know whoever they're wanting to draw a story out um, from is to ask them just in a moment of quiet whether they would have liked to have had their own grandparent's story in a book in front of them or just to know more about that grandparent or great-grandparent and inevitably that answer is yes it's it's again, we're hardwired to want to be connected to our roots. And so when we can ask of that family member to imagine that they'd had their own grandparent story and to realize that they now have the opportunity to be a little bit generous with their own story and share it for future generations, it a doesn't feel like a vain. Um, thing to do. It feels quite the opposite. It feels generous. um, And it might make them a little braver to share. The second piece, I would say, um, is to really reassure them that they'll have an opportunity to review um, and have sort of hold the final red pen, I would say, whether it's, you know, um, anything that's going to be written down for posterity. Uh, if if they're if it's going to be an oral storytelling experience at a family retreat, they might want to review the questions ahead of time. So anything that'll give them comfort that they have some some level of control um, can do a lot to um, just ease their anxiety around that process. And, and lastly, I would say if if still faced with a a hesitant, reserved family member, go ahead anyways with the rest of the family and just leave that door open. Um, Encourage them to be present when you're interviewing others. If it's at a family retreat, um, give them an opportunity to review if you're collecting and writing down some family stories. Um, And in my experience,
2: they'll come round. So leave that door open. You've worked with dozens, possibly hundreds of families, Sam. Um, Any key practices that you've seen amongst families that our listeners can learn from if they want to start embedding family storytelling in their own family? Any key sort of final thoughts
1: mm-hmm. for our listeners?
2: So the most critical place to start
0: is an articulation of your family's values. So if you're not there yet, that's the first place to start is to work um potentially with a facilitator, someone like you, Ruth, or someone else who can help um, a family get clear on what it is they stand for. Um, and then really the stories should flow from there. That should be your your map. Um, we talk with clients um, who consider their family stories values roadmaps. Um, so once a family knows its values, the question then is, well, how can we prove as a family that we've lived these values over time? And stories are that proof. So values are just words unless we illustrate them um, through family, through stories, rather. And I thought I would share two stories to wrap up. Um, One is um, a, a family that we've worked with over many years, they're uh, headquartered in in San Francisco as a business. They've now run by the fifth generation, which is really remarkable. We all know that, you know, that's a rarity at the third generation, let alone the fifth, Um, incredibly successful business. Um, Each generation um, has been, uh, uh, you know, responsible, engaged steward of that wealth and increased it exponentially from the generation before. And what I learned from, the current CEO of that family business. Uh, He's got four children. Uh, He taught me the value of bringing work home with you. And when we hear that phrase, we think of, you know, bringing your laptop home and doing work, you know, the dining room table. And that's not what he means. He means bringing the stories of his work. And he realized that what his father did and his father before him um, was not to isolate the children from all of those decision-making moments that go into running a family business or running a family trust um, but in fact regularly around the dinner table discussing how he uses his his values and the family's values to make decisions especially those tough decisions and the second story I want to share is a is a client of ours um, that is one of Canada's um, most significant philanthropists, um, commonly uh, described as having the Midas touch. So this is a fellow who started a company, you know, it was incredibly successful. The next company, you know, he sold incredibly, it was everything he touched turned to gold um, until he has two children. So until 2008 hit, um, the recession and he found himself um, fairly significantly overextended and one thing he had done prior to 2008 was um, was made some very uh, very significant philanthropic commitments uh, so here he was um, financially overextended and um, suddenly finding the climate not a right for making deals and, and wasn't really able to, um, gain any traction from, from a business perspective. Uh, one would think, and, and he often talks, um, disappointedly about peers of his who rolled back a lot of those philanthropic commitments that they made in the, in, in when times were good. Um, and his were significant, uh, and what he did and what he shared with his children who were, you know, in elementary school at the time, they, they were fairly young, was he talked about um, how important it was for him to keep those philanthropic commitments and what that was going to mean as a family. So he sold a few ranches, he sold a few very significant pieces of art um, and weathered, weathered the dry spell. Um, until business picked up again, which which lasted longer. And, and he, he, he sweated over it. it. It was not an insignificant dry spell um, in terms of keeping up this philanthropic commitment. What I love most about that story is his son, who's now 17 years old and is dyslexic. So school doesn't come easy to him. Um, and I asked his son recently, um, you know, what inspires him most about his dad uh, and things have returned to a little bit of the Midas touch. So he said a few deals recently, and it looks as though if you were just, you know, to look from the bird's eye view, well, you know, things are going well again for him. What's inspiring to his son aren't those successes. It's that, um, that he was candid and, and owned up to some of those, maybe we'll call them mistakes. You know, he made along the way, maybe overextended himself and, um, that he worked hard to write the ship, uh, that he endured, and that he didn't abandon his values along the way. And this is a a young man who's working hard to graduate with you know marks that are good enough for him to go on into university. Um, and I think if he had only an image or an understanding of his father on a pedestal as. incredibly successful person who never stumbled, never made any mistakes, never had his values stress-tested, I'm not sure that he would be thriving as much as he is. He's actually doing really well in school, he's working really hard, Um, and his father was uh, so um, wonderfully able to impart those values through sharing of those really
2: authentic, vulnerable stories. Wow, what a beautiful example of the power of family, family storytelling. This has been extremely enlightening for me, Sam. I'm so grateful to you for spending some time with us today. Um, I think what I've personally taken away from this is not just the power of family storytelling, but the importance of intentionality around it. If that gentleman that you just shared had not been intentional about sharing with his young children the importance of keeping his philanthropic commitments... That may have got lost as the as the markets rebounded and and the business got back to usual. So I, I think really important to be intentional about that family storytelling. So mm-hmm. Sam, on behalf of all the listeners, thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to just close with a quote that um, I was doing some research in preparation for our podcast, and I came across this, which I think really captures a lot of the essence of what we've talked about today. It's from a, a man named James Hughes who wrote the work Family Wealth. And he says, family stories are the glue that binds together individual family members. Every family I know that is successfully preserving its wealth sets aside time at its family gatherings for the sharing of its unique history. Both young and old tell the stories and in this way discover their common bonds and their values. Sam, thank you very much. I think this has been a fantastic session. Really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, such a pleasure. Thanks, Ruth.
1: I want to thank Ruth and Samantha for joining us on The Wealth Experience. I also want to thank all of you for listening. If you discovered something that you'd like to learn more about, we encourage you to carry on the conversation with your BMO Wealth Management Advisor or Relationship Manager. You can find additional resources for this episode at www.bmo.com slash thewealthexperience. For more about Ruth, visit www.yourfamilyenterprise.com. For more about Samantha, visit www.echostories.com. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to us on your preferred streaming platform. And don't forget to share this podcast with family, friends, and colleagues. If you have feedback on this content or suggestions for future episodes, email us at at Bemo.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, enjoy your wealth experience. You've been listening to the Wealth Experience Podcast brought to you by BMO Wealth Management. The comments included in this podcast are general in nature and are not legal, tax, or accounting advice. Professional advice should be obtained for your specific circumstances.
0: BMO Wealth Management is the brand name for a business group consisting of Bank of Montreal and certain of its affiliates in providing wealth management products and services. BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated is a member of the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.